Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Commitments are sometimes hard to do. Commitments of any kind. We have big commitments. We have long-term commitments. Thinking of a mortgage, a long-term commitment. Thinking of car payments, long-term commitments. And for a lot of young people today, student loans. Long, long-term commitments for some. Even longer than a mortgage. And that's difficult for a lot of people is to, to deal with financial commitments that we make in life. Can we really do that? Do I really want to get into this thing that's going to be a, a major investment for me? And if I do, what's it going to mean for my day-to-day -day existence? Am I going to be hurting as a result? But it's not only financial commitments that we make. We make other kinds of commitments too, don't we? that look familiar? No. <laughs> That's the way it used to be. <laughs> but all kinds of commitments. We have commitments of, of marriage. There are vows that we make on the day of a wedding. There are commitments that we make when there's a proposal, and, and traditionally, anyway, will you marry me? And the girl says yes, and they live happily ever after. But that's the way it's planned for. But you know, that's a commitment, that's a vow that we make. When I was a pastor, I performed a great deal of many weddings, 450. I was in different campus ministry situations on Marco Island beaches and in the Philippines with um, military people marrying Filipinas. And every time I performed a ceremony, I would always have premarital counseling going on, some sessions. And I, every once in a while, I could talk them out of it. <laughs> but normally what I wanted to do was to help them. Okay, and I would ask the question. One question I always ask, just to get things started, when and where did you promise each other that you would get married? When did the proposal take place? You get some really strange answers. <laughs> On the beach. Up in the mountains, at a fancy restaurant with candlelight, or at a McDonald's, or in the left turn lane while we were waiting for the light to change, or there was really never any someone saying, will you marry me, and someone saying yes. It was more like something we kind of guided ourselves in together. And it's, I think over the years I started hearing that more and more rather than the actual formal proposal of marriage. How times have changed. But looking at how that question gets asked, that commitment question, and sometimes it's under strange circumstances, two people scuba diving, <laughs> or at a football game, and you may have seen these before. But can you imagine that this would have happened at the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago? With a million people, or 100,000 people in the stands, a billion people watching on television, can you imagine if all of a sudden a young man came down and knelt down 
and says, will you marry me? And she says, I think so. (laughs) Yes, I would. Or she might have said, I don't think so. Then the camera zooms someplace else. (laughs) But you know, those things could happen. But that time of a wedding or marriage proposal, there's two commitments from both sides, and traditionally this is the way it worked anyway. I know times have changed. But the man would say, down on one knee, and he would hand the ring, will you marry me? And she would say, first I need to talk to dad. And traditionally, you would go talk to the father, or the man would go talk to the father of the bride, like I did with Diane. It doesn't happen much anymore at all. But you know, there's two sides to this question. There's that male side. He has to get enough courage in his heart to pop the question. I've selected you. I want to marry you. Okay, will you marry me? And on the other hand, you know, she's got everything in her corner right now. Yes. But then they too become united in that commitment to each other. That's real commitment. And as we say in the marriage vows traditionally, till death us do part in sickness and in health for as long as we both shall live. Long, long time. Now we know commitments in marriages don't always last. In the United States is something like 50, or not even 50% anymore last. Many people have been married many times, and they don't last. There's all kinds of reasons for that. But you know, that commitment, the time that they both made the commitment to each other, that was meant to be something that would last. Other cultures are not like Western cultures where you have a man and a woman making that agreement with each other. In fact, the majority of the people in the world, that's not the case. China, India, Africa. It's always a family kind of situation. They may or may not love each other. They may or may not even know each other that well. But the family gets involved in it. Remember the old Russian uh, musical, Fiddler on the Roof? Matchmaker, matchmaker, give me a match. It was the matchmaker's job, not mom or dad. The girl, a boy. And things get complicated when that takes place, but it does work, probably as much as our Western culture works. But you know, in the Old Testament, the idea of marriage is also there between a man and a woman. But in several books of the Old Testament, specifically Isaiah, Jeremiah, Genesis, Ezekiel, Hosea, the idea is that God is the groom married to his people, Israel, and all the people are part of Israel. Now, it's just an analogy that the Bible is using, but it's all over the place in the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Hosea, the whole book is about it, and Hosea's life is about it. And Hosea gets accused you're behaving like a prostitute because you have other gods. 
It's a very strong thing in the Old Testament. When you read it, read it it's, a, it's a theme. So I'm going to ask you a question. The title of my sermon is, Will You Marry Me? This thought I was going to be talking about marriage. No, not really. I'm talking about God's question to you. He asked you and me, will you marry me? He's already asked. So now it's up to us. What is our response? Oh, yeah, we can say, yeah, I'd like to get married. But remember, the purpose of marriage is forever. It would keep on going. It's not just a one-time commitment where I was saved or, or I joined the church or, or, yes, I used to believe. It's a lifelong kind of thing. And that's what God has in mind. As we read the Bible, in the New Testament, it continues that story, and my text for this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5. And it talks about, in the front of your bulletin, it talks about husband and wife relationship, that this is how a picture of Christ and his church. Hear from another translation, the message. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ has done for his wife, the church. It is a love marked by giving, not by getting. Christ's love makes the church whole and makes it go. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in his bride, dressing her in dazzling white silks and radiance. The potential bride is the whole church, and you and me. And just as the husband and wife are usually reminded that you need to be talking to each other, not just on the day you got married, not just your proposal, but sharing that love on a daily basis. I love you, dear. It's a natural kind of thing to say. But we need to hear that in our relationships. But even more importantly, in our relationship with God, he says, will you marry me? Will you keep on loving me? Or is this just a one-time event? God says, I don't want any part of that. Because then you're not being faithful. That's the hymn we just sang. Great is thy faithfulness. We didn't sing, great is my faithfulness. His faithfulness. Because we, like Hosea, do go after other false gods on occasion. It's important to remember that God wants us to, to be his at all times. You know, this week, in case somebody's forgot, is Valentine's Day. And that heart is an important thing. It reminds us of our love and everything that, that keeps us going. And, and you remember, you may have made a commitment way back in the second grade to somebody, remember, we used to always get those cheap little valentines. Will you be my valentine? I will love you forever. <laughs> All this kind of stuff. Do you like me? You know, that's not the kind of love that God is talking about. He's not saying, will you be my valentine? Will you be there just occasionally? Or right now? He wants to know, will you marry me? And then will you stay married to me? 
Will I be the most important thing in your life? A husband and wife have to have that kind of understanding. You are now the most important person in this world to me. And the same is true with God. You are now the most important entity in this world to me. Even more so than my spouse. Because with you I get to live eternally. And that's important to remember. There was, um, in the New Testament, Paul speaks the same way as it does in the Old Testament. There's a story that goes this way. Once upon a time, there was a handsome prince. His father, the king, was extremely wealthy, and the boy was given the assignment every once in a while to go into the villages and to get things and take them back to the palace. And so he would do that, but on his way one day, he met this attractive young maiden in the village. He says, wow, she's very nice. And he would make it a point every time he would go back to the village to see if he could locate that girl, and sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. But he said, I want to marry that woman. How am I going to go about it? Was the king's son, I could force her to do it and drag her off to the palace. He didn't want to do that. He cared about it. Or he could put on a big masquerade and, and pretend that he was someone else and then not really be that individual and then surprise her at the end. He said, no, I don't want a relationship that's based on a fraud. Finally, he said, I'm going to take off my princely garments. I'm going to go live in the town for as long as it takes. And he did so for several years, doing what the people did, eating what they ate, and having occasion to strike up conversations with this young gal. And all along, he began to realize, I love her even more. And soon, she reciprocated it and said, I love you too. And they were married and lived happily ever after. Now, that's a simple little story. That's a picture of God. It's a parable about God coming and living with us and loving us more and more and more and that we realize that he's faithful and we want to be faithful to him and we want to reciprocate back to him by saying, God, I love you. So every day when we wake up, God is asking, will you marry me? Will you stay married to me? And sometimes it's hard to remember that because we are human. But God does remind us when he says, husbands will go out of their ways for their wives. That's God, as Christ does for his church. But Christ brings us to him on the day of our wedding, sparkling. Even though we sin, our garments are going to be dazzlingly white. This was all planned from the very beginning of the world. Since the time of Christ, it's been lived out. Jesus came, he was born in Bethlehem. He came and he talked and he healed and he loved and he grew followers. And eventually, there were some people who said, we do not love you, and they would have him killed. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. 
He ascended back into heaven. And why is he there? Getting our house ready for us. He's the groom. We are the bride. Waiting one day that we can go home. Old Testament customs are different about marriage than ours. And you can see this in the background of a lot of stories in the Old Testament. And the practice that they had was called mohar, M-O-H-A-R, mohar. It means bride price. What would happen is every female in Jewish culture belonged to their father until another man came along and paid for her hand in marriage. Kind of like the old American Indian custom. You know, if you've got a, a beautiful young gal, you're going to get three horses and some so forth. Anyway, this was very real as you read the stories, the personal stories, especially in the Old Testament. Isaac and Rebekah. A price had to be paid. But then once the price was paid, that mohar, the ownership of that girl would transfer from the father to the husband. And that was very real. So real that the next story in the Old Testament that you read about, Jacob and Rachel, remember he had to go to a faraway country and work for Laban for seven years to get the hand of Rachel. And then Laban tricked him, and he gave him the more homely, older girl instead. So he had to work another seven years, 14 years it took, to finally get the girl he wanted. And then the transfer of Rachel would be given over to Jacob. In the New Testament, before the birth of Jesus, you read the story in, in Luke's Gospel and Matthew also that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. In some ways, it's like they were engaged. But they had a different custom. For betrothed meant the same thing to them as being married. Why? Because Joseph had already pray, paid the mohar to Mary's dad. And that she was now his property. Oh, a wedding was going to have to take place yet. But that's so real that when, Mo, when uh, Joseph finds out that Mary is with child, what does he want to do? He wants to divorce her because they're really married already, quietly, because he really loved her. And then he could get the bride price back from, his, from her dad because he had gotten soiled goods. But God interrupted all that. He had told through the angel Gabriel to marry this child that you're about to conceive is from the, is from the Holy Spirit. And then in a dream, God speaks to Joseph and says the same thing. What he's essentially talking to, the, to them both about, are you going to be faithful to my promises? In other words, Mary, will you marry me? Joseph, will you marry me? In spite of the fact that you don't understand what's going on, will you marry me? Then in the New Testament, it goes on that we got some problems here. 
St. Paul especially lists them that because he shows examples of how we've not been faithful in our lives. Here's a few. Paul says, Yes, you have many false gods, pagan idols. In the Old Testament, they had golden calves. All of these were God substitutes. In 2020, these God substitutes still exist. We are unfaithful. We are sinners. We are dishonest. We are corrupt. We go our own way. We are immoral. We're unjust. We're bitter. We forget others who may need our help. We laugh at other people. We gossip. We're mean-spirited. And he goes on and on. In almost all of his letters, St. Paul has something to say about that, giving examples of how we are unfaithful. False gods abound in our world today. To whom will you be married? Your own personal false gods? Your own personal priorities? They may be good in themselves, but are they getting in the way of your marriage to God? Won't you be my valentine? That simple little question of a second grader should be repeated over and over again because we're just always not sure. Who is it you wish to be married to above all else? God says, me or someone of your own choosing. In your ultimate faith, your ultimate hope, Dare not be in some kind of rituals that you go through or the fact that you come to church or going through the Sunday motions or wishful thinking. It's not a matter of what's in your brain. It's always a matter of what's in your heart. In a church, as the bride of Christ, we regularly remember that about our heart. When you were baptized, God was asking, will you marry me? You may have been a baby. You may have been an older person. And the answer is yes. That was God's proposal to you, and that proposal will never be taken away. And like we did again this morning, we realize that things aren't always right because we sin. We have corrupt hearts. They're not always what they should be. So we confess our sin. And we hear of God's forgiveness statements once again. And we can go back out, but we come back here because we keep sinning on the outside. We come here to be forgiven from God, or we can do it in the privacy of our own bedroom. Asking God for forgiveness, and he says, yeah, that's what I'm waiting to hear. So we're baptized, we confess our sins, and um, normally on Sunday mornings we confess our creed. It's not in the bulletin today. I think it should always be in there. The statement of what we believe. That's the wedding ceremony once more. I believe in God the Father. I believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for me. I believe in the Holy Spirit in His church. I really believe that. It's really important to me. And then finally... You know, confession of sins, remembering our baptism and saying the creed, what we believe. We come to the altar this morning and receive his body and blood. Which scripture sometimes reminds us that this is but a foretaste of the feast that's yet to come. Here we see in the mirror 
only briefly and not that clearly. There we will see God face to face. And while we are part of his marriage right here, the honeymoon hasn't started yet. We go to heaven. And that's what he says is my promise to you. Will you marry me? Interesting, and another way of putting it is what's the first commandment of God? No other gods before me. None. Hard. He wants that relationship to remain intact. And finally, when a, a young man was asking, what one thing must I do in order to be saved and inherit what you've got to say, Jesus? Jesus said, what does the law say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with your whole being. Love him with everything. That commandment, it's hard to live by. But you know, friends, even though we stumble, even though we are unfaithful as we sang earlier, God is faithful and God is true. And he keeps on wanting to ask you and me, will you marry me? Do you love me? And he says, I know sometimes it's hard. But I'm there to help you nevertheless and to forgive you each step of the way where you falter. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, is the promise. Be faithful. Remember that he is. Will you marry me? God wants to know. And what's your answer? Yes. Yes. Over and over. Yes, yes, yes. Amen.